0: Hello, our next guest is gonna be so exciting. She's a very interesting combination of a lot of interesting things out into the branches of what we do as speech pathologists. She's an SLP who specializes in geriatric cognition and gender affirming voice therapy. That's something I do as well. She's worked in skilled nursing facilities for the first six years of her career before making the move to academia. She continues to work in SNFs and as as a PR in SLP, because she just loves the setting so much. Sounds a lot like me. Hello, and welcome to The Missing Link for the SLPs podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part of the Medical SLP series where we talk to some amazing speech paths who work in a variety of medical settings, all the way from intensive care through to home care and everything else in between and beyond. You're gonna hear some incredible medical SLP stories and lots of advice from these passionate medical SLPs. Welcome to this episode of The Missing Link for SLPs. I am here with Tresha Kaye, and we have already started laughing and connecting, so we are glad you're here and listening to this episode with us today. Welcome, Tresha. Um, it's a it's an audio podcast. She's here smiling and shrugging her shoulders. <laughs> She's excited to be here, right? Yes. I, I am so excited to talk about SNPs and how great they are. Excellent, excellent. Tell us first, um, I always ask, I'd love to ask how you got started as a speech pathologist, because there are times in all of our careers where like, what am I doing? Why did I choose this field? And if we can go back to the passion, the joy, the dreams we had when we started, it just helps us keep in honed in on our journey forward. So would you share with us why you started um, the journey of being a speech pathologist?
1: Uh, it was kind of an accident. Um, I was actually a music ed major. um, And I, like the intro courses for music ed, you learned how to justify your program. Like they taught their students right off the bat how that you're probably going to be laid off at some point or the program that you're in charge of will be cut from the school funding, you know? So like, Um, that was really disheartening. Um, so I did some soul searching and thought about what brought me to music education, which was, I really liked the one-on-one lessons I was teaching. I really liked seeing growth in somebody. Um, I liked being the person who could help facilitate that growth. Um, and I really like using my ears and my, you know, I, I like, um, being able to use my senses, you know, to, to guide someone down a path and so I looked through the my university's course catalog I fell on speech language pathology um, and I've never turned back I was hooked in my intro course um, so I knew pretty immediately I wanted to go medical um, and I knew that we were going to go all the way through even with the well you've got to go to grad school It's like well that wasn't in my life plan but here we are (laughs) so yeah there was no turning
0: back after that excellent so where are you practicing now
1: I practice um, in Wisconsin. I'm uh, an adju- or a assistant professor for the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Um, and then I'm also doing PRN services and skilled nursings in the area. I used to live in Wausau.
0: That's where I'm from. Yeah, real close. I, I have yeah. Rutherford Avenue, I think. Yeah. That's so funny. Loved Wausau. Just loved Wausau. So I know you dubbed Stevens Point. You so sure oh. do. You sure do. Yeah, absolutely. So you're practicing. Now, when we first started, you were just like, I love Sniffs." Not many speech pathologists say that. I would agree with you. I love certain things about Sniffs as well. So share with us, what is a Sniff and why do you love working there? Yeah. Um,
1: SNF stands for skilled nursing facility. Um, and It's really a very specific level of care. It's for individuals who are no longer sick enough to be in the hospital, um, but do require either a stint of rehab to regain their abilities to go back home, or some people live there as a long-term resident. And these are individuals who require a certain level of care in regard to um, their daily living tasks, their medications, preparing food, cleaning their own home. Um, And so when those tasks are too much for them, they may wind up living in a skilled nursing facility. Um, I love them. So My, the majority of my clients are 85 plus. Um, my oldest was 107 um, and she was delightful. Oh. Um, and I love it because I find the place so joyful. I, you know, I, I get to hang out with folks who are on the other end of their life right like they're you know they've lived a very very long life at this point and they have such beautiful rich life experiences and often they really like it when people ask what their life experiences were and I love hearing them so I just am very privileged to work with these incredible people who literally built the world we live in right now and you know and and hopefully I give a little something back to them and help them along their path but um I just find them I find them to be I mean there's downfalls, absolutely. There's the days that are harder than others, but for the most part, just sitting drinking a cup of coffee drink and and laughing with a client, I you know, I don't think there's anything better than that.
0: You just you gave me goosebumps when you when you said, you know, they literally built the world. And I too have always loved working in the sniffs with the elderly. To me, they have such wisdom and they've lived so much life. And I can say, um, I can ask them a the question. In fact, I had a, um, I know this episode is for you, but I want to share one story. No, please do. I, I was working in a sniff, and my first husband had died. And by, I was trying to decide if I should spend some money and get a boat. And I was going to, I don't know. It was just it was, it was it was it was to me what I thought was a very large sum of money, and I was a single mom. And should I spend this money? And I asked this gentleman I was working with. His name was Earl. I said, Earl, what do you think? Should I get the boat? And he's he's like Maddie, get the GD boat. You will <laughs> never ever regret spending the time with your kids. And it yeah. just comes today. So I bought the boat, and we named it Earl. And I had more fun with my children and my children are grown now Mm -hmm. and I can't go back and get that time back with them. But I love the wisdom Mm -hmm. that, and the stories that some of these, these older people will share and tell just rich.
1: They're incredible. It's, you know, like I, I really privileged is absolutely the word. I feel privileged to hear their stories and and know them as. You know, I think the other thing is, you know, with with the geriatric population, society views them as old and slow and tired, and you know, like they've they've lost their shine, um, and their families, you know see them as that's mom, that's grandma, that's, you know, great aunt, auntie Gertie, you know, they don't, I think older folks lose their identity a little bit as they age, just because of the society that we live in. And so to give some, to hopefully give someone the opportunity to like shine up again and, and, you know, relive some (laughs) of the good old days of, you know, I, they tell all kinds of stories from raising their babies up to, you know, a job that they were passionate about, Um, Or just, you know, when they used to tear it up on the town with their girlfriends, you know, (laughs) like I'll listen to all the stories. I love them so much. And you're right. You do. I learn so much Mm -hmm. about how to navigate my life path from speaking with these individuals.
0: And they sometimes recenter us. I know I had one gentleman who we were doing aphasia therapy, language therapy. And I said, bring something from your room that you want to talk about. And now you know, and I know that these are people that are at the end of their lives. No big homes anymore, mm-hmm. no fancy cars. You know, nothing like that. One of some of their most prized possessions are their their, their pictures that yeah. they have of their families. Yeah. And so he brought with him his wedding album. Oh, that makes one me one want to cry. That that was one of his most. Prize possessions was his bride Aww. and yeah I yeah I'm excited to talk to you today because it's Crazy. it's it's just reminds me of why we do what we do yeah so anybody yeah. out there listening to this podcast there's so many areas you can go in speech pathology if you are in an area that you don't like change go find an yeah. area that you love
1: There's so many different Mm -hmm. environments that you can work in, and you don't Mm -hmm. have to be miserable in the one you're in. Maybe you're not meant for that. You know, just look around, and we're so fortunate. We work from birth to death. We work in just about every environment I can think of. You Mm -hmm. know, try something new. And I mean, what's the worst that happens? You don't like that one, too. (laughs) You can try another one. It's totally fine.
0: (laughs) true i it's I've had um i fresh s l p offers coaching, and I have had speech pathologists who by the time they set up their coaching time with me and we connect, they're crying on zoom Oh. and it has been so fun, empowering it's not me doing it, it's them mm-hmm. and to see where they start and where they end up is just really neat, which is why I do that story at the beginning
1: yeah. Because yeah.
0: who are you and why are you doing what you do? So would you walk us through a typical day at your sniff? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, so I usually get in, if I'm doing a full day, I'll get in um, in the late, like nine ten o'clock in the morning. I prefer to be there for lunch and dinner um, for dysphagia therapy. I don't really like doing breakfast therapy because most breakfast Mm -hmm. foods are really easy to eat and I don't get a lot of benefit from it. Um, so I do the late shift. Um, uh, you get in, you get a schedule. It tells you exactly uh, who you're going to be seeing for the day and the number of minutes that you're being asked to see them for. Um, billing has recently changed in the last year or so. So the minutes don't matter quite as much as they used to, but it's still, you're being assigned a certain number of minutes. Um, and then from there, I've every facility I've worked in. They don't say what order you have to treat your patients in. When when I say schedule, it's a pretty loose term. It's just a list of people and times. Um, so I decide who I see and when I see them for. I decide what type of treatment I'm going to be doing that day. Um, there's a. There might be a lot of running around uh, setting up meal trials, so I'm running to the kitchen and asking for whatever textures for somebody, or I might just bring snacks with me and do a snack in the room. Um, it's a lot of cognition. It's a lot of um, swallowing therapy. You'll get some voice, uh, particularly with my Parkinson's folks, um, is where I treat voice the most in a skilled nursing. Um There's going to be a lot of documentation. Uh, You need to write a SOAP note on every single patient that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, every patient gets an evaluation and a discharge. And then every five days, you have to write a progress note on those individuals as well. Um, Depending on the payer source, the days can change just a little bit. Um, So I'm also making sure that all of the paperwork is caught up so that if insurance wants to review the case, Everything is up to date and they don't have any problems seeing what my treatments are, making sure that they're valid and and reasonable, um, and going ahead and making a decision on whether or not they're going to continue paying for my services. Um, That's pretty much it. Uh, Evals tend to come in. Like (laughs) I might start a day with, you know, five clients on my schedule. I might end my day with eight or nine clients on my schedule, depending on who comes and goes. Um, Because... Admissions can go pretty quickly in a skilled nursing facility. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have, it's been, you know, five o'clock and I'm about ready to punch out for the day and I hear, well, you know, 102 just got admitted and they're on thick and liquids. We're going to need you over there. So off I go right away. And, um, but other times you'll know you'll, if, if admissions came in the day before, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to be treating them the next day. Um, so that's how
0: avals go and how admissions go with that. Well, admissions come from a medical center, so they usually don't arrive first thing in the morning. And in my SNFs, admissions used to be um, probably around 1 or 2, and they were always towards the end of the week.
1: Yes. It seems like hospitals... Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you think about it, if you're having an elective procedure like a a knee or a hip or a, a whatever... You're more likely to do it early in the week. They have the the time in the hospital to let you heal up, and then they're sending you home by the end of the, or they're sending you on to the next facility by the end of the week. Um, So some weekend admissions, but really not often. And it's usually people who are having a medical crisis, not my folks who were there for a planned rehab stint.
0: Mm -hmm. So you work PRN? I do, So do you, is it your responsibility to cover weekends and holidays? Yep. Weekends, holidays. um,
1: Anytime the caseload is just a little bit too big, I'll go on a weeknight or I will do it before work as well. So I'll hit the breakfast schedule, even though I don't love it. But um, so yeah, it's a lot of weekends. It's a lot of holidays. Um, But now that I'm in academia, I find, that I miss treatment. I miss mm-hmm. I miss how often I got to treat. So mm-hmm. I I do it because
0: I really like it. <laughs> I'm the same way. I teach, I'm on campus four days a week, 10 hour days, and available to students on Fridays, but I carry mm-hmm. clinic hours at my clinic for my, my voice work and my swallowing work and all that. I love it. Yeah. I just, yeah, love
1: it. I just It's great watching my students. I really love, Mm -hmm. you know, watching them develop their clinical skills. And I really love those moments in therapy when they like their client gets it, they get it. Like everyone has an aha moment and that's terrific, but it's not quite the same as being in the room, doing the therapy. It's a, I get my fix.
0: I call it. Right. Right. I totally understand that. Yeah. You mentioned you work with cognition for those who don't know what that is. Can you explain? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, so cognition, uh, anything that your brain does basically, uh, so memory, uh, executive function, sequencing, I'm going to run out of why, oh geez, here's my cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's often what I'm treating is, um, I do a lot of dementia treatment, and that looks a little bit different. Um, but say someone had a stroke or has a degenerative neurological disorder, you know, they may have difficulty uh, planning their day or organizing a pill container. Um, and it's not so much the physical task of it. It's the cognitive task of planning it out and sorting it and then following through the judgment of if I do my medication wrong, what's the implications of that? Um, So a lot of safety training um, as well. And then when I'm working with dementia, you know, it is a degenerative cognitive disease. Um, And so often when I'm working with those folks, I'm working, yes, with the individual themselves um, in the the mild to early mid-stage and how we can modify their environment to maximize their independence. Mm -hmm. And then when we move more towards the mod to late stages, um, it's really me working with the caregivers, um, and in and, and giving education about how they can change their communication practices with the individual to elicit um, a more meaningful conversation or a conversation that results in a message being you know so if, it could be as simple as someone is in pain and they're they're having behaviors, so if you if a caregiver just says, "Well, Betty, what is wrong?" that's a giant question (laughs) and for someone whose brain isn't working the same way anymore, that's too much. So I do a lot of training of, okay, can we ask, you know, yes, no questions, Betty, are you in pain? Are you hungry or thirsty? Um, Or can you give a binary choice? Betty, I'm willing to bet you're thirsty. Would you like some water or some juice Um, rather than just what's wrong, (laughs) which is, so it's a lot of communication training with my caregivers Um, And how to, you know, often caregivers will say just, well, go get dressed. And that's a really, really big, complicated task, you know, so instead of saying, go get dressed, how to help their loved one, you know, okay, well, let's find a shirt. Okay, let's go find some pants that match the shirt and just to break each task down into more manageable chunks that their loved
0: one can handle. So how did you, you also mentioned you are an assistant professor. How did you get started in that?
1: Uh, again, also a little bit of an accident. Um, I had been taking grad students for a couple of years on their externships. Um, and I really enjoyed the teaching process. And and like I had mentioned earlier, the watching the growth of my students um, in their final semester before they graduated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, I was working and um, still in contact with uh, professors from my alma mater. And uh, they reached out and said, hey, there's a position and maybe you'd like to think about it. Um, And I thought about it and I said, well, you know, sure, I'll try something new. Let's let's see what the teaching world is like. Um, So here I am. I'm I've I'm just finishing up my third year now. Excellent. Um, I do a lot of clinical practice that's a lot of clinical supervision um, but I also teach uh, the voice class and the intro class so dip my toes into the teeth like the classroom teaching world and uh, that's fun too I probably
0: annoy my students but they learn so
1: <laughs> they're learning this stuff so I can't be that annoying
0: that is how I got started I was supervising a grad student, and the university um, clinical director said, hey, how's it going? And I said, good. Their voice skills could use a little bit more work. And she said, well, actually, we've got a position open for a voice instructor. Would you like to come? And I applied. And that's how I've done voice for years. But yeah, isn't that funny? That's so funny. (laughs) But I'm finishing my second year teaching, starting my third year. I now that I'm in it, I'll be here for a while. I I very
1: much like it. But like I said, I need my fix for treatment. Yeah. So yeah. I find if I don't PRN, if I don't get out to my skilled nursing, I start interrupting my student sessions
0: more and more often. <laughs> right. I hope stay teaching for a while, too, and then do my voice on the side. Yeah. You also do voice. You do gender mm-hmm. voice. So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's something
1: I was always
0: interested
1: in um, getting involved with, um, but there is no call for gender affirming voice therapy in skilled nursing facilities. I never no. had a, an experience, you know, to work on it there.
0: So when it I does not mean that there are not right. gender diverse residents in long term care facilities, though. Yes, absolutely. There's
1: absolutely gender diverse people Mm -hmm. in every setting. Um, it's just, you know, there's bigger fish to fry if you're in a skilled nursing facility. So, um, when I wound up on campus and, you know, was the voice person there, um, I thought, well, this is a really good time for me to start these skills and start training myself in these skills and then accepting clients. Um, so I've just been on this journey of educating myself as much as possible. Um, so I've been doing gender affirming voice therapy for three years now. Um, a lot of referrals from my campus, but also a lot of community members as well. Um, and it's, it's challenging, it, but in everyone, there is no cookie cutter, right? And that's true for all of our therapy, but what I find with gender affirming voice therapy is, you know, it, uh, I'm helping that person find what their voice is supposed to be. And there is no roadmap for that. So it's a lot of, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's put it on like we're, like we're trying on clothes. Let's put on a different aspect of our voice and see how that feels, see if that resonates. And if not, we'll toss it out the window. But if it feels good, we'll start practicing and we'll start using that. Um, so it's been a little bit of a wild ride, but it's super, super. I I just feel very fulfilled when I'm doing that work. Um, I'm, again, privileged to be working with these really amazing individuals and um, have a very small role in their process. And anything I can do to make that process a little bit easier, I'm more than happy to do. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty great.
0: What have been some challenges in the SNF that you've faced? (sighs) That's a really good question. The the business, it's
1: the business side of of skilled nursings. Um, They have to make money because they're a private business. I've always worked in private. I've never worked for a a publicly owned or a a county or a state um, facility. Um, So they're, at the end of the day, they're a business. Um, The rehab company puts productivity standards on you, uh, which seem to get higher and higher every year. Um, and you're asked to perhaps pick up clients that aren't the most appropriate to pick up again because it's money. Um, So there's a lot of balancing what I feel I can ethically do and what I know the company wants me to be doing. Um, So sometimes I can say, well, all right, I, I don't love it, but I don't think it's crossing an ethical boundary. I just you know, don't love that you're asking me to do this and I'm willing to try it out for a week or two. Um, and then there's other times where I think, no, that's not at all ethical. And I'm, I'm just not willing to do that. So if that's a problem, you're going to have to find a different speech therapist. Um, so it's really on a case by case basis, but I think that's the hardest part for me. Um, is the the business aspect of it. I think the other hard part is, you know, your folks pass away and you get, you get quite attached to them. Um, And it's gotten easier for me throughout the years, but I still, you know, it's, it's hard to say goodbye to a friend Um, and you have to do that in a skilled nursing facility. So that can be hard sometimes
0: too. Do you have a story of a resident you would, that you've worked with that you would like to share with us that really made an impact on your life? Oh, there's so many of them that made an impact on my life. Any funny stories or touching stories? I,
1: I had a gal. (laughs) Um, oh man, this would have been my first year. Um, when I was fresh and, you know, scared of my own shadow, you know, very, always questioning myself and my, my decisions and, you know, still in my CF and, uh, I had this woman, uh, Ellie, her name was Ellie, um, blind and uh, in a wheelchair. And I can't remember. I think we were doing swallow therapy. Um, but she was, so she's 95, you know, some, some very, very um, old, to, for lack of a better word. Uh, and she was just, you know, I think it could have been real easy to say, oh, I never see her family and and she's blind and she's in a wheelchair and how awful her life is and that woman was so happy all the time like you could hear her laughing down the hall she was crass she would tell dirty jokes she you know was just this very bigger than life personality and I really learned a lot about just not taking yourself too seriously <laughs> You know, I'd walk in, she'd go, oh, here you are again. What have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, will you please just be nice? Like, let's just have a nice time, okay? I'm here to help you. (laughs) But she just, she really is one of the people that, because when I I took the job at the skilled nursing, the very first gig out of school, um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I had a lot of trepidation going into that environment. And, you know, I had... Some of the, the stereotypes in my head I talked about earlier of, oh, it's got to be depressing and weird. And, you know, and, and she really showed me that it is not at all. <laughs> you can be very joyful even if you're old and blind and
0: in a wheelchair. How do you build rapport with somebody who there are, you're, there's such a generational gap and, and everything else going on in that setting? Any words of advice for building rapport?
1: Oh, Oh, man, uh, because you will have, I've walked into rooms and they'll say, "Uh, you can leave. Like I've been told to turn around and walk the like immediately. I think if you really come from a genuine place um, and you don't show up as the expert who knows everything and, you know, I've, I've been at this for 10 years now and I still find I am more wrong than I am right and I'm perfectly happy to admit that to my patients Um, you know, I, every time I think I know someone, someone proved me wrong about it. Like, so it's, I think if you just come in with a genuine, I'm, I'm here, I have some skills, I'd really love to see if my skills will benefit you. And if that's a workable situation for you, then great, let's go ahead and and do a little bit of work together. And if that's not, if now is not the right time for you, or if you're not interested in this stuff, then just let me know and, you know, you know how to find me if you need me. Um, So I really find coming in with that type of an attitude is that
0: seems to work
1: best for, at least for me.
0: Last question. Any words of advice for the new speech pathologist who's just starting his or her clinical fellowship? And like you said, had all these questions and were scared of your own shadow. What What would you say to yourself back then?
1: You're smarter than you think you are for sure. <laughs> you know your stuff. It might take you a little bit longer to process through all of it and come to the conclusion that a seasoned SLP might come to a little bit faster, but you have the knowledge in your brain. They wouldn't have given you a diploma if you didn't. So have faith in yourself. I'll keep your textbooks close, you know, and refer back. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I will go find out and I will let you know. Um, And, you know, whatever you need to do to, if you need to listen to a certain song in your car in the morning to, you know, pump you up, or if you need to do your power stance of, you know, Mm -hmm. I can do this, your your positive affirmations, um, whatever you need to do to put yourself in a good space to be with your clients for the day, I really, really recommend doing that. And just know you got this. You're gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine.
0: I'm gonna ask you one more question because I think you're gonna give me a great answer on this. Oh, good. Is there are there any words of advice that you would give that somebody else might not agree with?
1: someone might not agree with? Ooh.
0: Yes, but I'm afraid you know, to be recorded. <laughs> The swallow therapy, y'all. Just chill out.
1: <laughs> and then again, I chill out. Chill out with the swallow therapy. I I tend to, when I started, I was hyper vigilant and and any little cough, you thicken liquids immediately, and you know, yeah. very aggressive with oral care. Um, and all of these are good things. You oral care is good, thick liquids have a place in the world. Um, I think new clinicians are, that is the part that is the scariest because yeah. we're told, you know, if you do it wrong, your patient might die. That's yeah. terrifying. Nobody wants um, to be responsible for death. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what I always, and I was the same way. I was very, very cautious at the beginning. Um, so I think someone might disagree with me that we should not throw caution to the wind, which I I'm not recommending that, but I'm recommending chill out a little bit and maybe don't let thickened liquids be your very first instinct. Maybe find some other methods or work with your client on okay, here's why I'm not happy with your coffee or your throat clear. What can we do about that? Um, mental to support. Yes, yes. So that's that's the
0: advice that I think some people aren't going to love. I love that. No, I, I would agree, but that's my favorite question. I don't ask that to everybody. I love um, that question. I love that question because it really gets to sometimes the truth of, of just being an effective therapist and being a brave therapist. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, sometimes we do things that aren't quite on the books. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we're in such an evidence-based profession, which by all means all the evidence, but sometimes there are things that evidence hasn't covered yet. And, you know, give it a shot. I once had a guy, uh, his wife, uh, he'd had a, a massive stroke, um, had to do, had to relearn everything. And his wife was a reflexologist and asked if we thought her doing reflexology on his feet and his head every day would be helpful. I was like, I don't think it can hurt anybody. (laughs) So go ahead. Why not? Go ahead and do it. There's no evidence that would say reflexology. No, there's no evidence to the best of my knowledge that says reflexology is going to help someone have a stroke recovery. But honestly, the guy had one of the most remarkable recoveries I've ever seen. So I don't know. Was it reflexology? Was he just in the right space and time and and his his motivation? Who knows? But, you know... (laughs) Sometimes you try stuff off the books and it's totally fine.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for sharing your time and your stories, your humor, your passion, and all of those things with us today. Thanks. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the Missing Link for SLPs podcast, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.